yourself for? Viva Las Veggies. Despite what everyone thinks, paleo folks don't just eat meat. I eat more vegetables now than when I was a semi-vegetarian. We'll chat about our favorite vegetables, how to buy them, store them, and cook them. So let's get vegetated. Welcome to our program. This is the Nom Nom Paleo Show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and nomtastic. We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook. And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O. Hello. And Lil Lo. Oh, hi. Hi, whatever. And they're the reason we do what we do. Henry, what's something delicious you ate this week? Well, I ate a lot this week, but my favorite meal of the week was a Vietnamese meal we had out here in a local Vietnamese restaurant. Over the years, we've gone out to Vietnamese restaurants a whole lot. There's a ton of Vietnamese restaurants in our neck of the woods, but it's only been in the last few months that I've figured out the best way to order Vietnamese boon. Vietnamese boon is this noodle salad that I've loved for many, many years. We used to go to Vietnamese restaurants in San Francisco and order boon all the time before we went paleo. But it's essentially a bowl of rice noodles, cold vermicelli noodles, that is accompanied with salad greens, a lot of Vietnamese herbs and spices, and pickled carrots, pickled onions sometimes, and then some grilled meats. And it's delicious. But over the years, I've stopped ordering boon because after going paleo, I've really wanted to steer clear of eating a ginormous bowl of rice noodles. Recently, I've discovered that I can just go into a Vietnamese restaurant, any Vietnamese restaurant that has boon on the menu, and order the bowl without the noodles. I just say I'd like to order the number thirty-six with the grilled beef and onions, and instead of the vermicelli noodles, I just want more. Lettuce. It's like you're making a chipotle bowl. Sort of, yeah. But it's important also to be very specific about replacing the noodles with more salad greens because sometimes when I forget that piece and I just say no noodles, it'll just be replaced by tons and tons of bean sprouts, which are not my favorite. Yeah, you know we love Vietnamese food, but if someone is doing like a whole thirty or a strict paleo reset. Vietnamese may not be their best choice because most of the meat is marinated with some sugar or like the dressing has sugar. But you know we're not paleo perfectionists. Clearly not, because boon usually comes with a little bowl of nok tram. Yeah, it's that dressing that has fish sauce and sugar. <laughs> That's right, and I usually pour that entire bowl all over my salad. And sometimes I get pho, which is rice noodle soup. But I will. Ask for less rice noodles and ask for extra vegetables. It's our deepest, darkest secret, but we do eat rice. Yeah, but I'm much more mindful of it, and I don't eat it all the time. And I eat everything, and I save the rice for last. So, Michelle, what did you eat this week that you want to talk about? Oh well, something that I've been eating for a while. It's one of my favorite crunchy snacks, and it's called You Can Crunch. It's made by a local company called Mission Heirloom, and I think they they ship nationwide. 
Basically, it's a cracker that's just made out of yucca root. The first time I ever tried it was I was at the Weston A. Price Conference and there was a woman selling it and she was saying that this was a traditional cracker substitute from the Dominican Republic. And I remember trying it and she had toasted it for me and I think she slathered on some coconut butter and I was like, wow, this is amazing because it had been a long time since I'd had crackers. And recently I rediscovered it because Mission Heirloom, a paleo restaurant in Berkeley, sells it. And I stock up on it and I, I love it. What if you don't live within spitting distance of Mission Heirloom? Can you find it in local stores? You know, actually, I've seen it at a bunch of markets that sell South American goods. So you can definitely see if there's a market in your area that specializes in those products and see if they, they sell it. And it's called cassabe. Yeah, I know it comes in this big sort of semicircular package. It's kind of hard to find. I've seen it at the bottom of store shelves, which makes it a little hard to spot unless you're three feet tall. But if you go through with an eagle eye, you can sometimes make out with packages and packages of this stuff and haul it home. Yes, you can do that. For us, there isn't one that's really close. I think one time I drove down to San Jose to see if I could find it and... I, I found maybe one package and it wasn't worth the gas trip. So I think buying it through Mission Heirloom is probably your smartest choice. And when you get it home, I know that you like to toast it up before eating it. Yes, definitely. Because it can taste stale and it's very bland. But if you toast it and you slather on something delicious and some salt, it, it really is a tasty treat. So do you put sauces on it? Sometimes I put chicken liver pate on it. I will spread on some grass-fed butter and salt. And sometimes I'll put some coconut butter on it, but it just it just tastes good. I could see how it'd be great with charcuterie plates or bone marrow. Or- Actually, one of my favorite things is I put smashed avocado on it with some sea salt, and that's delicious. That does sound delicious. The main course. Not too long ago, we were at a party where someone introduced us as paleo eaters, and they described the way we eat as low-carb, high-fat, lots of meat. This is the typical description of paleo that we often get from people who think we're trying to eat like cavemen. Like we're Fred Flintstone, and we're ordering big racks of dinosaur ribs that tip over our foot-powered rock car at the drive-in. Yeah, exactly. At this party, the person said to me, well, I can't eat that way. I can't tolerate eating that much meat. And I just want to yell and say, we don't just eat meat all the time. Who I mean, said that paleo is all about eating meat? Well, I think when we first went paleo, at least for me, I, I did eat quite a lot of meat. We might have gone a little crazy with the bacon and the steak and the jerky. I think it was just that we hadn't had it in so long. We were like vegetarians for a really long time, or at least semi-vegetarians for a really long time. And it just tasted good. And I think I was trying to, you know, restore my lost nutrients. But then I think we pretty quickly realized that we had gone overboard with the meat. I think you used a term, the meat sweats or something. Yeah. Oh, I think I'm getting the meat sweats. Just thinking about it? (laughs) Or no, just because we would just eat all this meat and I would start craving vegetables. I love vegetables. And so I think we pretty soon had to have a healthy balance. Honestly, I think we eat more vegetables now than we did when we were semi-vegetarian. 
Oh, I think that's for sure. Because when I was semi-vegetarian, I would allow myself stuff like, oh, Fritos and stuff because, you know, that didn't have meat in it. Fritos are vegan and so are Pop-Tarts and Oreos. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So now if you think about how our dinner plate has changed, it's really not about replacing everything with meat. Before our plate would be mostly whole grains, some vegetables and some protein. Like we might have whole grain mac and cheese with some broccoli or some whole grain pasta with vegetables and a little bit of chicken breast. But now we've replaced the grains with more vegetables and replaced the bad protein with more sustainably raised grass-fed pastured meats and eggs. And seafood. And seafood. So really, the amount of protein on our plate hasn't changed all that much. We've just replaced the grains with more nutrient-dense and, and frankly, more delicious vegetables. It shouldn't just be meat, 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 meat all day long. Right. And the argument that paleo is so expensive also has to do with high-quality meat being expensive. So if you eat more vegetables, that will also kind of keep your cost down. That's a great point. One thing that all eating approaches can agree on is that vegetables are unequivocally good for you. Right. Everyone agrees on that. Unless you're an obligate carnivore. Or a fruitarian. Right. But I don't know that we would invite those people to our house. <laughs> Let's face it. Vegetables are spectacularly delicious, which is why we want to talk about them today on our podcast. In fact, they are the meat of our episode today. And we'll talk about how to incorporate the flavors of vegetables in a practical way in our everyday cooking. Yeah, we can call it the vegication episode. <laughs> Wait, didn't Robin Quivers already use vegication as the title of her vegan cookbook? It was called The Vegication of Robin Quivers or something. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to be sneaky about incorporating that because I am a big Howard Stern fan and Robin Quivers fan. So I think we should call this the vegication episode as an homage. <laughs> well, Robin certainly knows her vegetables. She does better than most people. <laughs> so as listeners of episode one know, we were mostly vegetarian for years, not really for ethical reasons as much as for health reasons. Because we're bad people. Well, you're a bad person, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, do you remember the first time you ate a vegetable that really opened your eyes? Yes, I do. I have a very crystal clear memory of this. My mom was always a really great cook and she made really great stir fries and she would incorporate vegetables and everything. But I think the quality of the produce that she had available to her was not optimal because this was in the 70s and early 80s. We didn't have farmers markets everywhere. We just had to buy whatever Safeway or the Chinese market had available. But I remember the first time I had a really great homegrown, perfectly ripe, juicy tomato, and that was a game changer for me. And when I, was that? This was when I was pretty young, but old enough for me to remember, so I probably was around 10. It was when my dad's coworker, who happened to live just a few houses down from us, came into our house and dropped off some of his homegrown tomatoes, and he had like a surplus, and he was very proud of his tomatoes. And I remember we just cut them open and we just ate them. And it was so different. And so it was like sunshine in your mouth because instead of being mealy and gross and having like no flavor, like the supermarket pink tomatoes that I was used to eating, it was like juicy and filled with umami. And it was just so good. I remember thinking, wow, tomatoes can taste like this. 
I think that's what started my love affair with properly prepared, perfect vegetables. So let's change topics a little bit and talk about shopping for and storing vegetables. So there are lots of great places to shop for your vegetables. Obviously, you can get it at your stores, but ideally it would be best to get it at a farmer's market or to get a CSA box. Tell me a little bit about CSA boxes, because I think a lot of people out there may not know what a CSA is. So CSA, if I'm not mistaken, stands for Community Sponsored Agriculture. What that means is you subscribe to a particular farm's CSA. And for whatever their growing season is, like from the beginning of spring to the end of fall, you prepay and get a week's worth of produce every week. And it's whatever the farmer picks that week. And you get what you get and you don't get upset. That's great because it forces you to try new things and to try new vegetables. It's The CSA is like your mother. It sits there and says, I know you haven't tried this before, but you really should and you'll like it. And the other benefits are the CSA is normally cheaper than going to the store to buy your vegetables. And they are the freshest vegetables you can buy because they are coming directly from your farmer. Even if you don't know how to cook some of the vegetables in your CSA, most CSAs will have a newsletter where they will tell you what to do with the stuff in your box. I know that you used to love the Marikita Farms newsletter. We used to be a Marikita Farms subscriber. For many years. For many years. And it included a lot of inspirational recipes. You were almost as excited about getting the newsletter as you were about getting the box itself. Yeah, because not only would we get great recipes, but we would also get these stories from the farm and we got to know the farmers like they were our friends. And so we wanted to support them. The other thing about getting CSA stuff is that it's all picked at peak ripeness. Right. And then they are dropped off at a neighborhood pickup spot. So for us, it was just at a house a few blocks away. One tip for picking up your CSA box that I learned after being a CSA member for many years is to pick it up later in the day. And so most people would think that's not a great idea because I don't get first choice of the boxes there, but all the boxes are basically the same. And so it doesn't matter if you go late, but they have this trade box. What happens with the trade box is when the driver drops off all the boxes, he has a trade box as well, and he'll have one extra bunch of vegetables in there. When people pick up their CSA box, if they find a vegetable that they don't like in their own box, they can dump it in there and trade it out for a vegetable in the trade box. But by the end of the day, there's normally tons of stuff in that trade box. Why is there tons of stuff? Is it just that people don't bother trading and they just chuck all the vegetables they don't want? Yeah, or they just have so many vegetables they don't like. I mean, people are very picky about their vegetables (laughs) and they will never say eat fennel or they'll never eat kohlrabi. And so if they see these things in their box, they just dump them in there. By the end of the day, there's, there's always more than one thing. So are you saying at the end of the day when you are the last or second to last person to pick up their CSA box, you just raid the trade box? You could because <laughs> technically you just have to leave one thing in the trade box. I know, isn't this terrible? Smart. <laughs> so if you don't have access to a farmer's market nearby and there's no CSA to subscribe to and you don't know any local farmers and in fact you live potentially in a food desert, what do you do then? That's a really good point. We are totally spoiled in the Bay Area. 
it didn't really hit me until I started traveling outside of where I live. Like we live in a bubble here in the Silicon Valley. <laughs> a bubble that may burst at any second. <laughs> I know. I hope that doesn't happen too soon, but it could. <laughs> me too, since I work at a tech company. <laughs> but I was on a new food revolution panel a few weeks ago at Cherry Bomb Jubilee. And I was on a panel with this woman named Carolyn Randall Williams, who is a really dynamic young lady. She's a Harvard graduate. And she just wrote a cookbook with her mother called Soul Food Love. And it's this cookbook and memoir where she and her mother explore the complicated relationship that African-American women have with food. The book is about looking in their past and finding healthier ways to cook their favorite foods. I remember we were on the panel, we were discussing different things. I was talking about how you should know where your food comes from. And then Carolyn brought up a really good point. She said, knowing where your food comes from is fine and good, but some people just need access to that food. We need to take the snobbery out of food and you don't need to have it come from like a special farmer or have it be 100% organic. You just need to have access to healthy vegetables. So you just have to do the best that you can. And that is totally true. The Environmental Working Group has these great lists where you can figure out which produce items, it's no big deal if you buy conventional because they are low pesticide risk anyway. And so that's like vegetables on the Clean 15 list. And some of them are like asparagus, avocados, cabbage, and you know, a bunch of stuff that I like anyway. So a lot of times you don't have to buy organic. Then they also have the Dirty Dozen Plus, which are fruits and vegetables that get a lot of pesticides. So in that case, you should try to get organic if you can, or at least pesticide-free. But if you can't, it's better than eating a bag of Cheetos. In terms of storage, like let's say you get these beautiful, fresh-picked vegetables from the farmer's market or from the store or from your CSA box. How do you store them? What I normally do is I refer to a post from The Kitchen, which is a great website. And it's um, The Kitchen without the E. Yes, I'll, I'll put this in the show notes. But they have a post called The Kitchen's Guide to Storing Fruits and Vegetables. They list the best ways to store the most popular vegetables, fruit, and herbs. The key tips are if your vegetables are twist-tied or rubber-banded together, remove them before you put them in the refrigerator. Why? Because that is bruising and hurting your vegetables. Okay. And you don't store your fruit and vegetables together because the fruits can ruin your vegetables because they're releasing, I think it's ethylene or whatever. Don't look at me. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever the fruit is releasing, it can ripen and ruin your vegetables. It's basically, your fruits are farting all over your vegetables. No. Okay. Just don't do it. So now that we have our vegetables in our home, in our kitchens, in our fridge, what do we do with them? Well, there's lots of ways to prepare vegetables. Like there's lots of ways to skin a cat. One is more delicious. Yes, the vegetables are more delicious. For example, I just cracked open my copy of Yotam Odalenghi's Plenty More, which is a super, super popular cookbook about how to cook vegetables. And the way that the table of contents is organized is by the way that you can cook your vegetables. And so there are a million ways or like a dozen. His categories are tossed, steamed, blanched, simmered, braised, grilled, roasted, fried, mashed, and cracked. Cracked. I think he also has sweetened too. 
What does cracked mean? I think when I when I looked at it too, I was like, I don't. What does that mean? But it means that you can incorporate eggs into your vegetable dishes. You have ah. to crack your eggs. I remember listening to Odalengi on a interview, or maybe it was a podcast recently, and he was talking about how vegetables really don't get the culinary respect that meat does. You can go into a restaurant, for instance, and every time you order a steak, you'll be asked by the server how you want your meat cooked. No one ever asks about how you prefer your vegetables cooked. And he said it in sort of a joking way, but I think it was half serious. Vegetables are and have been an afterthought. They've been relegated to the side dish portion of the menu, and maybe they shouldn't be. Cooked properly, they can be the star. And you don't have to get fancy. All you have to do is roast some broccoli and add a little bit of fat. You can add a little bacon if you want. And it's amazing. Most of the time, I actually make it in the toaster oven just because I have a pretty awesome toaster oven. That we don't make toast in. (laughs) That we don't make toast in. And it's just the perfect size. And it'll cook while I'm making, you know, the rest of the meal. Yeah, and I know that you have flavored it sometimes really simply. It could just be some balsamic vinegar. It could be just a sprinkle of magic mushroom powder before you stick it in the oven. And it comes out really delicious every time. Yeah. And our kids actually like it with the paleo ranch dressing that I make the recipes in my book. They also like it with teriyaki sauce. They like it with anything, I think. Oddly enough, broccoli is one of the vegetables of choice for our kids. I know. I don't understand. I mean, I I like broccoli as well, but I don't know why broccoli has this special hold on them. Maybe it's because we make it all the time. But they request it all the time. It's not It's not because I'm, I'm forcing it on them. I mean, I, I give them a choice. I'm like, what would you like as your vegetable? Because you are having at least one or two vegetables with dinner. And they're like, oh, broccoli for sure. You know, I think it may also be that oftentimes when you cook up vegetables, they don't even know that they're eating vegetables. Because I think about some of the recipes that we make on a pretty regular basis in our house. And they're things like... Asian cauliflower fried rice, where they have no idea that what they're eating isn't rice. No, they're not that dumb. They know that it's cauliflower, but I think they eat it just because it's it's a dish. They don't think of it as the vegetable that they have to finish. It's their meal. Or even zoodles. Well, because it's covered with tomato sauce and meatballs. Who wouldn't like zucchini that way? And that's right. I should explain that zoodles are actually zucchini that's run through a spiralizer so that it resembles noodles. Or just a julienne peeler. Like if I don't want to wash our spiralizer, I will just use our julienne peeler and just make these strings with zucchini. So Michelle, I know also that you are an inveterate gadget queen and our house is filled with all sorts of cooking implements and appliances and gadgets. What are some of your favorite gadgets that you use when you're focusing on prepping veggies? So I'm not going to list the items that are super expensive or take up a lot of space because I know those are things you don't like, Henry. (laughs) The number one, I think, most important kitchen gadget that people should have is a really good vegetable peeler. Most things have skins that you have to remove. And then you can also use the vegetable peeler to make beautiful ribbons of vegetables in whatever you're making. Like carrots or Mm -hmm. zucchini? Yes, carrots, zucchini, cucumbers. Those are really great things that you can make ribbons out of and taste great um, on a salad or as like a pretty accent to whatever you're making. I think a salad spinner is also a good investment because, I mean, nobody likes soggy salad, right? 
you won't eat it if your salad is soggy and your dressing doesn't stick on soggy salad. Plus, I learned from America's Test Kitchen that a really great way to store your salad greens is to wash them as soon as you get them home. And then after you've spun them dry, you line your salad spinner with paper towels and you put your cleaned lettuce in there. You put the top back on and you store it in your fridge like that. Your greens will be clean and they'll stay fresh for up to a week. You just can't spin anything else in the meantime. Well, that forces you to eat the salad that you bought. That's a good point. One way that I think... I have incorporated a lot more vegetables into my diet is just eating salads all the time. Totally. And most salads that you can buy either at the farmer's market or at the store are already washed. And so you don't even need to use a salad spinner. And there's really no excuse for you not to eat vegetables if you already have this in your fridge. A lot of people don't like salads. They find them really bland. But what I've found is that you can add a whole lot of different stuff to your salads and make them really pop. Oh, for sure. You don't have to just have raw vegetables on your salad either. One of the best salads I had in recent memory had a bed of greens and then they tossed in some roasted mushrooms and caramelized onions, which I thought was an amazing combination. Yeah, you usually think of those as burger toppings. Mm -hmm. No, and then they also had something crunchy in there, like crunchy carrots or cucumbers. And so it had all of the different taste sensations and texture sensations. So it was a really satisfying salad. When we first started going paleo, dressings were kind of difficult because it often was just balsamic with olive oil. We weren't really all that imaginative when it came to dressings. These days, we've really branched out a whole lot when it comes to flavoring up our salads. Yeah, like you can make a really nice creamy dressing by adding a ripe avocado. You can soak some almonds and blend that in. And that also creates a really creamy and hearty dressing. And you can still always go back to the basics, aged balsamic, some oil, some mustard to emulsify it, and it turns out really terrific. Right. And I think for a salad, like I normally like to add something crunchy in there just to make it funner. And so like some toasted nuts are always a great addition to salad. I like making salads more funner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that makes people want to eat them. But there are lots of other dressings that I think are are great as well. Like one of my favorites is my tonado dressing. It sounds crazy. So everybody just bear with me and keep an open mind because it's made out of a can of tuna, anchovies, caper, olive oil, lemon juice, and mayonnaise that you blend together. And you get this really delicious, creamy sauce. And it's totally a classic Italian sauce. It's not something I made up. It's something that most people find delicious. (laughs) And it's the best dipping sauce for raw vegetables ever. It adds protein, healthy fats, umami, and people should try it. It sounds like it would be great on a salad, actually. And it It is. And, you know, actually the classic dish, they put this tuna sauce on tuna. And they also put it on like chicken. So it's like protein on protein. Tuna on tuna. Yeah. These are all recipes, by the way, that can be found on Michelle's website at nomnompaleo.com slash recipe index. I know that we just spent a few minutes talking about equipment, but you don't need much of anything at all to make a fantastic vegetable forward meal, right? For sure. And this point was drilled into my head about a year and a half ago when we went on a family trip to northern Thailand. One of our friends, uh, Mark Ritchie, and his staff at 
Chiang Mai's International Sustainable Development Studies Institute. That is quite a mouthful. ISDSI. ISDSI basically is a study abroad program for college students to learn about sustainability in Thailand. So Mark set us up on a day trip to spend some time on an organic family farm in a little village called Meta. And the farmer that we spent time with was a woman named Bosai Gantada. She was awesome. She treated us to a tour of her farm. She showed us all the bounty that her land yields. I remember while we were walking through her fields, she just stopped and reached up and picked rose apples off the tree and handed them to us and and we started biting into them and they were delicious. Yeah, I'd never tried a rose apple before and I I haven't had one since, but they're these pear-shaped fruit that have the texture of like a really crisp apple. Very airy. Yeah, and it's like hollow in the middle. It was a really interesting fruit that I'd never tried. Mildly sweet, really delicious. But really refreshing. It's almost like an apple pear. Like an apple pear is way juicier than an apple. And so the rose apple kind of reminded me of that. One of the best meals we had in Thailand was actually on Bosai's farm. She just picked vegetables from the field, cut them off the stalks with a big knife that she carried around or with a pair of shears that she had with her as well. And then she just cooked it on a walk over an open flame. And that's when I realized, you know, you don't need all these gadgets And I'm sure Henry was very excited when I had that. (laughs) She did have one gadget that was really interesting, though. She had a stationary bike that was rigged to a water pump. Do you remember that? I do. The kids and I were fighting over who got to pedal on it to get the water to wash our vegetables. It was pretty incredible. We had broccoli and cabbage and cauliflower. And then these tiny pea eggplants that were like green, which are traditional in Thai curries and all of these awesome Thai herbs that I'd never seen. And she just picked whatever was fresh and she made us this, I don't even know how many courses she made, like three or four courses. And it was just made outside. There were no kitchen counters. I remember Mm -hmm. you just prepped everything on a mat made out of an old rice sack on the cement floor of her outdoor kitchen. There were three or four of you just huddled around. Yeah, we were all just squatting and Working on your mobility. And the meal was just awesome. And dessert was just fresh papaya that was sliced up and, and eaten. Yeah, I thought that was such a great learning experience for both me and our kids. Because after that experience, I was like, I'm not going to waste any of the vegetables in my crisper. Because someone spent all this time raising it properly, and I can't just let it go to rot. So these days, if you can't use up all the vegetables you buy, what are some strategies you use? One of the big ones is I roast everything off. I make sure that everything is about the same size, the same texture. Like I put all my root vegetables on a tray, and then I roast it off. And then I can use those vegetables in a variety of ways. Because once they've been roasted, they actually have a longer shelf life. Like I think you can keep those for, you know, up to four days in your fridge. And you can make soups with it. You can just have it as extra vegetables for your next meal. You can put it in an omelet or make a frittata with it. And I also use it to make my garbage recipes. Like I have a garbage stir fry and garbage frittata. That sounds really appetizing, by the it's, way. It is a terrible name, but it's <laughs> basically a clean your fridge out meal. And you just make sure you cook whatever's in your fridge. 
I've also seen you just take vegetables out of the fridge that otherwise would be thrown into the garbage, and you cut it up into little pieces, and you line a pan with it, and you stick a spatchcocked chicken or something on top of it and shove it in the oven. Yeah, because once all the drippings from the chicken have infused those vegetables, they taste pretty darn good. I can imagine. Actually, I don't even have to imagine. I've had that chicken dish. And if you are resourceful, you can ferment your vegetables. I mean, that's something that I've always wanted to get into. My sister Fiona, who is a chef, makes pickles all the time. And when I go visit her, I'm just amazed at all the jars she has in her fridge of all these pickled vegetables. She and her husband Chris have a garden in their backyard in Southern California. They've built planter boxes by hand, a drip system. It's totally organic. They use insects to kill the bad insects. (laughs) I don't even know how that works, but they do it the right way. (laughs) I wish that we lived next door to my sister. It's not so much that I want to grow my own vegetables. Yeah, we don't grow anything ourselves. No, but I'm willing to barter. So if people wanted to give me their fresh vegetables, I'll help cook them for them. (laughs) I think our excuse for not growing anything ourselves is that in our state, we're in a drought right now. And so, you know, we we just want to be kind to the environment. And that's why we haven't yet built the herb planter box that's been sitting in our garage. Because that would take up too much water. Also, we are super lazy. And we have black thumbs. That too. Yeah? You want to hear some vegetable jokes? Okay. What did the boy say when he saw the salad dressing? What did the boy say when he saw the salad dressing? I don't know. What? Hey, salad. I saw your underwear. (laughs) You want to do another one? (laughs) Sure. Say lettuce and spell cup. Lettuce, C-U-P. I'm not going to let you see me pee. (laughs) Ha ha (laughs) (laughs) I don't know (laughs) Hey Ollie, want to hear a vegetable joke? Yeah So a man goes to the doctor with a piece of lettuce hanging out of his ear That looks nasty, says the doctor Nasty, replies the man This is just the tip of the iceberg Uh, Do you have any idea what that means? Nope What does it mean? Um, iceberg lettuce is a thing So then... (laughs) I'll forget it. Question of the week. What is your question of the week, Owen? Asparagus. Tell me why you like asparagus. Because my favorite way to eat asparagus is you stick it in your mouth, you bite down, and then you pull it out, and then like all the juices come out in your mouth, and it's like you being a vampire. (laughs) It sounds absurd. When do you eat asparagus? Whenever our mom cooks it. She makes it with dinner. Okay. What does your pea smell like after you had asparagus? Smells like soup. Pea soup. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Do you want to drink it? Uh, no. (laughs) Okay. Ollie, what's your question of the week this week? Uh, broccoli. Why do you like broccoli? Because, like, I don't know. I don't know. I like it because it's my favorite vegetable. Yeah, how do you like it cooked? I don't know how my mom cooks it. Is it raw? I can't tell. I don't I don't know. I'm just... Is it yeah. cooked? I don't know anything about... Yeah, I think so. Where does she cook it? In the kitchen. Duh. Um, what does she cook it in? She cooks it in the toaster oven. 
Somehow you don't know if it's cooked or not, but you know it's cooked in the toaster oven. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, well. What kind of sauce do you like it with? The wheat-free teriyaki sauce. Is it also soy-free? Yeah, I think so. Good. What does she usually put on it? Like ghee? I think it's ghee. And balsamic vinegar and salt and pepper? I think so. What does your pee smell like after you eat broccoli? It, it smells like pee. It smells like pee. So, Michelle, on this vegetable-themed episode of the podcast, what is your crush of the week? Okay, this goes against everything that we just talked about, but my crush of the week is frozen vegetables. Frozen vegetables. After all that talk about CSAs and farmer's markets. Because I'm also a realist, okay? Because sometimes you just don't have time to wash and cut up and spin dry your vegetables. And so a, a quick way to get vegetables in your meal is to just grab some frozen vegetables. And I do that all the time. There is no shame in that. What types of frozen vegetables do you have in your freezer? Frozen kale. I have frozen spinach. I also have a mixed, I think it's called a mixed California medley that has like broccoli and carrots and cauliflower. And so the kale and spinach, I will throw into frittatas or anything because what's nice about that is they don't take that long to cook. They are already cleaned and cut up and it's a flash to get meals on the table. But I also like the California blend because you can throw that into a curry. Like if I'm making my Thai chicken curry, that's what I throw in. I throw in those vegetables from the freezer. And that makes total sense because at the end of the day, the point is getting food on the table and sometimes you just don't have the time or energy to prep everything exactly the way a five-star dining establishment would. Exactly. I mean, I think that if you have the time, great. But if you don't have the time, this is good enough. You just need to eat your vegetables. Okay, I will. <laughs> Henry, what's your crush of the week? So my crush of the week is a cookbook that just came out about a week, week and a half ago by April Bloomfield, the chef behind the Spotted Pig and the Breslin in New York. I really love this book. It's called A Girl in Her Greens, and it's a vegetable-focused book that's... Uh, hey, hey, hey. How This is actually one of my future crushes of the week. How did you get to see You it? already had a crush of the week for this week. <laughs> Not fair. All right, fine. You you take this one. No, no. Go ahead. No, you, no. You say you, why you, you like know, it. No, no, Anyway, I'll tell you why I like it. Fine. Okay. <laughs> It's awesome. I love April Bloomfield's food, and I also love her previous cookbook, A Girl and Her Pig. And she's known for cooking meat, and she's well known for being a, a head-to-tail chef. But what I love is this is a book about head-to-tail vegetables. Head-to-tail, meaning <laughs> the top of the carrot to the bottom of the carrot. Yes, the greens to the root. And this is actually kind of surprising to me just because the type of food Chef Bloomfield is known for, as you said, has been meat. And, you know, when we've eaten at the Breslin, for instance, we've typically ordered the English breakfast, which is... Which is amazing. It's, it's probably amazing. the best breakfast you can it's get in It's just a big plate of meat. No, there's eggs. Fine. And I think there's some vegetables. There's some stewed Potato. tomatoes. Is it tomatoes? Do they even have potatoes on there? I don't think they have potatoes. I don't remember. I just remember the meat. Yeah, it's really good. Um, but what I like is that it's not a recipe book for vegetarians. Like she has a recipe for Hasselback potatoes, it's like potatoes that have been sliced. So they kind of look like a little hedgehog and with their thin slices in it. And then in between each slice, 
She puts a chilled slice of lardo and then she bakes it. You want to describe what lardo is? Lardo is back fat, right? (laughs) Pig back fat. And it's delicious. It is delicious. The book itself is laid out so beautifully and there are these wonderful watercolor pictures everywhere. The end sheets are paintings of really cute little vegetables. And I love, you know, I love pictures of little food. Like that <laughs> sure be, do. That is my, I don't know. That's like, that's actually another crush is like mini All right. Food. You have way too many crushes. I do. This, you I only like need, You only lot. get one crush per week. Fine. You describe your crush then. Well, you already did it. Don't be mad. It's an amazing book. <laughs> All right. A Girl and Her Greens. Yeah. And what's what's really cute about it is that right before the end page on the back of the last page is a little drawing of a pig with an eye patch that says thank you. And I actually don't understand what that means. Like, why does that pig have an eye patch? Question of the week. So this week's question of the week comes from a reader named Sandy, and she wants to know how I get my kids, Big O, who's 10, and Lil O, who's 7, to eat vegetables. So I could go on and on about how I get them to eat vegetables, but I thought it would be better to get it from the horses' mouths themselves. So Big O and Lil O, Mommy's going to ask you a question, okay? Okay. We sound like horses? You smell like them sometimes. What? Anyway, so my question is, how do I get you to eat vegetables? Well, you put them on the plate every night, and if we hate them or like them, we have to eat them. That's what you say. That is true. You have to eat them. Usually you give us choices, but sometimes like you just make like Brussels sprouts, but then you also make a vegetable that we like. Right. And then I let you choose. Yeah. But you have to eat it. It is true. I, I, I am a dictator. I make you eat your vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a good mom. <laughs> what? <laughs> Great parents are dictators. That's true. Great I... parents call their kids horses. Yep. All those things. I love you guys. Then why you call us horses? <laughs> okay. That's it. That's a wrap. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So that's it for this week. This podcast was recorded and produced at Nom Nom Paleo World Headquarters, also known as the Dining Room in Our House, located in the heart of Silicon Valley, 50 feet from Jeremy Lin's parents' house. The Nom Nom Paleo theme song is by Mark Bartels, with additional music by Big O and Politaire. This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices. Pay one low membership price and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com slash thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order. And in case you're wondering, unless stated otherwise, none of the brands or products mentioned sponsor this podcast. We just talk about the stuff we love. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing, and more. We also have an iPad app and a cookbook. More information at nomnompaleo.com. 
And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us again next week for more Nom Nom Paleo podcast. Ciao for now.